Hi, you're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by the Devil's Rejects. Hey there. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Can I, be, can I be the bird? You're hot enough, can I? I don't think this, I've so. ever seen that. Is that a Rob Zombie film? Yep, it is. It is. So this week we are joined by Mitch Bain, uh, who, I've, who I've known for a wee while, actually. He's one of the guys that is responsible for the Strong Language and Violent Scenes podcast, um, also based in Glasgow, much like us. Um, I've been to one of the live shows, not not both of them, uh, and they're cracking fun. And the oh, thanks very much. Is, the podcast is cracking fun as well. So, Mitch, thanks for joining us. Ah, thanks very much. Thanks very much. I don't do the like being a guest on other people's podcasting very often because most of the time, if somebody's picking one of us, they pick Andy because he actually knows things. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for taking that punt on the ignorant one. <laughs> I, I can't help but notice that your podcasts are a fair bit slicker and more successful than ours. <laughs> I don't know if either of those things are true. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Everybody wants to slum it now and again. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, it's like this. This is uh, this is like something that I'm very excited to talk about. I have a very long and weird list of things that I'm looking forward to getting into. It's uh, straight out the gate. So, Dave, did you research Mitch's number one choice? Was I that. actually did. Yeah. I watched. A, I watched a clip, but um, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Division Three, Mitch. <laughs> Amateur football, please. You've reached that stage in your career where they've farmed you out on loan. <laughs> Coming soon. To the, so, Mark, the what's, what's the format today? What rules are we playing? Uh, well, Mitch, as I just said, runs a movie podcast. This is mostly focused on horror. Um, he has an array of guests he brings on pretty much most weeks. Uh, but we thought because he's a movie buff and we, we've all seen movies, that we would do a, a movie mixtape. <laughs> so, uh, this, as a crossover idea goes, I like it. I think it's a good one. And it's going to be called, it will be called, people will now know it's called Mitch's Movie Mixtape. So. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Mitch, how would you describe your taste? Because I was personally surprised at the lack of morbidity in your in your choices. It, 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 you almost came across as an optimist and I was not expecting. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, actually, yeah. You know what? Like deceptively optimistic is something people have said about me quite a bit. No, um, I, uh, I would say that like, I, I guess we're, we're talking film taste, right? I think music as well. I, film-wise, like I say, horror's been kind of like the main thing for me for probably about the last maybe like eight or ten years. But I think that the other things that I tend to gravitate towards are kind of like, kind of indie dramas and indie comedies and things like that are the kind of things that kind of draw me in. I was a bit of a latecomer to just like watching films more than the average person does. I didn't start doing that probably until about my early 20s. So I've spent quite a lot of time working backwards. But if you're talking about like favourite films, I would say like things like Secret in Their Eyes, uh, Drive, Confessions... Um, After Midnight, which I'll speak about in a little while, things like that. Um, So, I don't know, I think that a lot of things, whether it be horror, whether it be indie, whether it be drama, comedy, whatever, there seems to be a kind of like telling a fairly simple story and a kind of indie sensibility to most of it. Uh, The fact that I tend to gravitate towards things that tell those kinds of stories, but also incidentally are cannibal movies or monster movies or whatever <laughs> is just uh, an, an aside, I suppose. Uh, m- music, musically, I mean, like, um, I worked at a local radio station back home for 10 years, so, like, knowing popular music from basically the 60s to now was kind of part of my job for a bit. So, like, uh, music-wise, I would say, like, it's there's no one easy way to kind of pin that down. And I think that comes across with scores and things like that as well. Uh, I kind of like what I like, and I find it very hard to describe it beyond that, which makes me sound like one of those people that just goes, oh, I just like a bit of everything, which is a horrible, reductive way to talk about anything. 
<laughs> and a total turn off uh, on a date 100% yeah 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 it's like, it's like any, any question that you can't answer in 50 words or less is a bad one I would say or it's a bad answer well this is the second movie mixtape that we've done um, but the last time it was just the three of us and we went for our favourite scores and like you know original music for films whereas this mm-hmm. is different this is our favourite tracks from films yeah, so, like soundtracks yeah. rather than scores, right? Yeah, so mm-hmm. songs that existed before the film, basically. Sure, sure, sure. And also, I'm not going to include Judgment Night in this, because that was my choice for that previous episode, and that would have been a good candidate. I mean, those songs didn't exist. They are standalone singles and stuff, and they were written for that. We didn't really specify if music could be written for this. I noticed one of Mitch's choices was written specifically for the film. That's true, uh, actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, so other than that, there's not a hell of a lot of rules. I think the choices are probably going to vary pretty wildly. We also asked some of our regular listeners and uh, part-time hosts to chip in some suggestions, seeing as he couldn't be with us. It's one of those topics that gets everybody pretty uh, excited because everybody's got ideas. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll touch on them. I think... uh, Obviously, we narrowed it down, so Mitch has picked ten. Uh, the three of us, representing Unsung, have picked three each, and then we've all picked Wild Cards, which are songs that, as far as we're aware, are not in movies. They actually, I suppose they could be, we've just not heard, but they they would make for a good soundtrack to it, and we'll try and pick like a style of film or a certain moment that they could maybe be used. Uh, but obviously, because we had to narrow it down, there are a whole load that didn't make the cut, so I think we'll probably just get ourselves warmed up and kick things off by throwing some of these into the mix so people can get an idea of what the hell we're talking about. Cool. So, who wants to take that lead? I'm going to go first. Um, Chris, ready the buzzer? Purple Rain from Purple Rain. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, of course. I've, I've got I've got both the Prince Alarm and the Cancel buzzer on rapid fire tonight, man. There could be a lot of that. You could uh, fucking set your watch to that one, couldn't you? Yeah, it was coming. So yeah, I had to start with it. I had to lead had to lead with that one. Um, best foot forward, best foot forward, mate. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it's a, it's a good. The, the soundtrack was written for the film, but it's also in the film. Um, good song. There we go. That's all I'm saying on that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to dwell on that. I don't one. think any of our actual choices though come from like musical movies, though, do they? Whereas that is pretty much a musical. No, mine does. Mine definitely does. Oh yeah, no, that's, yeah, right, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. By the can I just say, Mark describing Purple Rain as good song is about as understated as Mark will ever get in his entire life. Because you know that inside he's absolutely fucking pitching a tent about that song right now. He's just trying to act to go Not inside, also, also inside. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good shout. Uh, Alright, I'm going to pick one that's quite Scottish. Restless Natives soundtrack uh, by Big Country. Mm-hmm. There's some rippers on that. And also very relevant to, to the film. I think like that that really was that along with like local heroes, like one of those makings of a band where they just became really intrinsically identified with the country as a result of it. Everyone's seen that. Just out of curiosity. <laughs> uh, yeah, good film. It's great. Um, I, I I haven't seen it, and you've mischaracterized me wildly as a movie buff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, any uh, any bits and bobs lying about in your cutting room floor after you made your list up? Um, I had the odd thing, yeah. Um, I had talk about Nicholas Winding Refn a little bit later on, but um, has anyone seen uh, the Neon Demon? Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, really. I, good. I love that film. Um, and uh, there's not a massive amount of. Uh, obviously, it's mostly Cliff Martinez stuff in that. But um, the scene where they go to this kind of massive ornate nightclub when you kind of it's like um, Dakota Fanning's character getting her kind of first taste sorry Elle Fanning's character getting the first kind of taste of the kind of wider world when she gets there they go to that nightclub and uh, Demon Dance with Julian Reffin plays and they kind of just like rinse all of that kind of like six minutes out of it and I think that that's amazing Um, I didn't know if musicals were against the rules or not. Um, so my <laughs> uh, so my final list didn't include anything from Stage Fright. Uh, not the old Stage Fright. Stage Fright from 2014. All of us have heard these names of hate. But let me get one thing straight. I'm gay, I'm gay, but not in that way. Musicals move me and touch me in ways I can't say. He's gay, but Has anyone seen it? I have not seen that, actually. Um, So Stage Fright is about um, a bunch of theatre camp kids who get stalked and killed off um, by a masked kind of like conventional slasher villain who loves metal and hates musicals. Um, I'm totally feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's yeah, it's it's and it's um it's got meatloaf in it and it's really fun and uh, basically every original song in that is hilarious. So I wanted to throw some things from that in the ring, but just generally the soundtrack from that. And uh, the other thing that came to mind for me was um, "Hero" by Family of the Year from Boyhood from uh, Richard Linklater. Oh god, that fucking film! <laughs> what did no wait? Wait no! Like uh, oh god, how? <laughs> oh man! I mean, this this is going to happen a, a number of times. Let's be honest, but I fucking hate that movie. Oh really? Um, okay. It's so grotesquely overrated. I can't remember anything about that film except a, a just a pervasive sense of frustration uh, <laughs> at, at, at how many good things I'd heard about it and how little I gave a fuck about it as it happened. A pervasive sense of frustration is what life's all about, man. It's what he's trying to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but I go, I go to the movies to, ex- to escape that, you know. I don't go to the movies to, ha- to pay Richard Linklater to put me through it. <laughs> I, I could have yeah. done that. I could have done that at home. <laughs> yeah. Can I demarcate actually a couple of little categories that might help us distinguish some of these things? So I tried to avoid more or less credits music, uh, where where a song either introduces a film or just pops up as the credits roll. Mm-hmm. One of my choices clearly straddles that um, in the end, but I think that counts because it straddles it, starts with that, uh, and then leads into the credits. But mm-hmm. there are some absolute fucking rippers of just great credit needle drops or indeed great opening credits um and i'm sure i'm absolutely sure you'll be with me on this mitch uh credence clearwater revival uh american werewolf in london <laughs> I yep. Mm-hmm. 
it's, I mean, it's so fucking good. That's such a fucking great choice. The, the the whole bad moon rising, moon werewolf, everything about that is great, and the kind of jubilant nature of that. You know that that um, that weird uh, juxtaposition of the fun song with a film about dying and werewolves reminds me a little bit of the stupidity at the start of Cabin in the Woods. Not oh, not God. not musically, I, but just that fun playfulness. Like this is a this is ostensibly like a film about gore and murder and slashing. But here we're going to be really cheery and silly about it as well. I yeah. Um, I originally I think like my first draft of a list had a bunch of stuff that basically all did that. It's like ah, it's supposed to be scary, but the song's kind of funny or nice. And it's like I ended up whittling it down to a couple of those, but it's something that really appeals to me and works over and over. But the Cabin in the Woods is a great example of that. I love that film, but the opening's mm. amazing. Uh, another amazing opening uh, is I think this will probably get a mention later on, but a Night Call from Drive, the Kavinsky track. <laughs> yeah, it will. It will get mentioned later. And, yeah. and I have to say, I think Cars on the Table, this is by far the best song on, on, on that soundtrack for me. There's actually, I think it's called, is it Dustin and Goyan mix? There's like a version of it that's slightly faster, and certainly for DJ and Dave, I'm sure you've tried it in the past. Like the the, the remix of it is way way better because the the movie version is very plodding, but it kind of suits the opening credits in that sense, and, and it immediately cements it in that eighties retro territory. I think it's like it's kind of like, it's like a cruising tempo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas the other one's a dancing tempo. Yeah. Uh, to other amazing closing music that I did, again I didn't choose from my list there's a track called We Were Wasted uh, by a band called The Leisure Society and I will close my eagle eyes hang up my skin to dry uh, and it's in the film Tyrannosaur the Peter Mullen film oh Jesus okay yeah, yeah. Super dark film, beautiful film actually, yeah, yeah. but an incredibly beautiful song. That band are actually usually quite upbeat, but that song is terrific, like really, really beautiful, and it just it is perfectly judged. It was a great choice. I think it's actually because Paddy Considine used to play in the band, or if not in the band, in a previous incarnation of the band, he was the okay. bass player, I think, and so he's always kept in touch with them. And it's just a it's a tremendous choice. Is that in fact is that a Peter Mullen film? Maybe he directed it and Mullen just starred in it. Maybe that's what the connection was. Yeah, a, a, an amazing one. Uh, another name that I noticed listeners mentioning that he's probably got a fair few. His name is Elliot Smith. Uh, for me, the best one is probably Miss Misery at the end of Goodwill Hunting. I absolutely fucking love, but obviously there's a number of other Elliot Smith ones. We mentioned one a few weeks ago. Yeah, there's there's one on uh, there's an Elliot Smith song in in my my Wade Anderson list as I have a list for Wade Anderson songs. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Needle in the Hay from the Royal Tenenbaums, you know. Oh, I, um, it's, 
it's terrific you see when Richie really. you know shaves himself then he's then suddenly lost to hospital and there's a little pause and then you know the song comes back in amazing use of that song yeah and there's um we mentioned when we did the nexus recently the the neighbor of uh kevin spacey's character in american beauty and then the elliot smith version of is it because comes mm-hmm. in because yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's another really good one by the way it did occur to me we didn't do a we didn't do a spoiler alert at the start of this i mean this entire episode and beyond is just going to be so rife with spoilers that you might as well just switch it off. I think if you know what the premise of the episode is, you're you're fucked like immediately. <laughs> I I like fully intended to like diligently spoiler tag everything that came out of my mouth, so we might as well get it out of the way now. You are much much more disciplined and experienced at this. Uh, that's again a sign of the higher divisions. In um, fairness, it's a sign of having a podcast that's about films. Really, like, you know, like, you can't you can't really spoiler the end of a record, you know. And and the first few months of death threats at not putting in those spoiler alerts um another one that we mentioned in a recent episode was analyzed by tom york at the end of the prestige which i mm-hmm. think is a fucking brilliant use of, of closing credits music uh one that i've mentioned in the past which i think is a great bit of scoring is god moving across the face of the waters i think it's called it's a, a moby song and it's from the end of heat Um, yeah, there's actually yeah. another a Moby cover of New Dawn Fades by Joy Division in that film during the film a car a car chase of sorts where uh, Pacino's following De Niro to a diner for a really famous scene as well and the the Joy Division cover's great but the way that the God moving across the face of the water swells up as De Niro's characters dying and the lights of the runway uh, in the background swell up with the music. It's one of Michael Mann's best moments, full stop, for me. You've just reminded me of the really good use of a Moby song in that Bourne film as well, but I can't yep. fucking remember the name of it. It's, it's um, Extreme Ways. Yeah, that's yep. it. Yeah. It's used um, every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bourne tune. Oh, I'd be curious to know how high in the kind of overall pantheon of licensed artists Moby is. Oh, we've covered that in the Moby episode, by the yeah, way. That, it's, that play album was just a uh, every single song every single song yeah. yeah and that's First an 18 track history. record or something isn't it as well yep. <laughs> you know it's like it's not like some 10 track pisher you know it's like <laughs> yeah, um, it's not a thriller yeah yeah I think I'm a I think a was that no? Was there not some sort of mad statistic like fifty percent of UK households had a copy of Play in it or something? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the same amount of people that have fucking uh, top loader albums and they're fucking uh, on. <laughs> <come on. laughs> <laughs> fucking fucking. Check yourself, man. Fuck's sake, it's, it's not the same thing. You know, there's, a friend, like, there's a friend of mine whose favourite band is Top Loader, and um, I relayed that to someone, and they said, I fucking hate Top Loader, and both of those reactions are equally surprising to me. Well, I funnily can't enough, people exist we, like we, we've talked about Top Loader before when we did our, uh, our pound shop thing. Um, before we chose a terrible record or you know whatever we could find for a pound uh-huh. we actually covered Top Loader and uh, funnily enough I know a guy that was in Top Loader fuck off well he's connected to one of your wildcard choices as well who is it? Uh, it's, he he managed the excerpts okay I think I know what you mean okay Okay. Uh, and he was the I think he played keys in Top Loader so funnily enough 
He loves that chin as well, doesn't he? That is way too early in the evening for you to be blown around like that. <laughs> um, the last, the last one I've got down as a credits tune is, I think, an absolute ripper as well. Goonies are good enough by Cindy Lauper from the Goonies. Which was obviously written for the film, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Uh, and oh, it, oh, genuinely is one of her best tunes. And that's this is a woman with a lot of good tunes. And Goonies Are Good Enough is an absolute killer song. Really good song. I think that got a mention from was it Hazel Burgess? One of our one of our regular listeners picked yeah. up on that one as well. Yep. I already had it down. I fucking love that song. And it's just an awesome movie as well. I'm just um, going to uh, pick up on uh, Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader works really well. Please don't. <laughs> in Four Lions. It's in Four Lions. And like, the whole, yeah. the whole yeah, point it of does. it is they're fucking loving this cheesy tune on a van down to London to blow shit up. Yeah. You know what? Now that you've said that, that's actually a contender for like a proper great choice because it is a brilliant choice for the reason that yeah, it's so it's terrible. A, it's, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's incredibly funny. Like, for, like it's a, it is a great choice. It's not a great song, but it is a great choice. <laughs> um, and then, funnily enough, I think you and I, Chris, were maybe going to choose a finisher in from Four Lions. Or uh, did you choose it? Or maybe I've just made this up. I've cho- no, I've chosen them from another film. But yeah, uh, okay. You, you, but yeah, Apex Twins Avril Fourteenth finishes Four Lions. And I didn't go for it in the end because I thought it's not quite necessary that it, it doesn't have the context it's just a beautiful piece of music that is quite fits very well with the, mm. the sort of sad ending and I thought you know what any sort of slow sad piano music could go here but it works it does work mm-hmm. really well um, and since you've broken the seal then the Aphex twin that actually really <laughs> the, the, I debated putting it in my top three because I think it's fucking brilliant although the reason I didn't was for exactly what you said is that yeah they probably could have used any bit of hellishly screamy terrifying music but for anyone that's seen 8mm uh, mm-hmm. the scene where Nicolas Cage is stalking through the house of Machine trying to find them and the entire scene, I think it was, I think it was actually Trent Reznor was involved in the soundtrack of that film, and the, it's really well chosen the stuff that's in it. But the, the entire scene has the sound of uh, needle static from the record player going through it, mm-hmm. and then it's cool. You just there's an amazing jump scare when totally off out of shot, the needle just jumps onto the middle of Come to Daddy, and it's that bit like yeah, <laughs> it's, it's horrible. And it's just echoing through the corridors, so he knows the guy's in the vicinity somewhere. He doesn't know where. It's a fucking brilliant scene, and obviously that bit from that song is so ghastly anyway that it it just works fucking brilliantly. A um, couple of like big fucking bangers from the eighties. I think it's eighties. Yeah, it must be the eighties. Short Circuit Two. Holding out for a hero by Bonnie Tyler. Get out of there. I was going to use Short Circuit 2 in my Nexus, but didn't quite.
Wow. Well, I mean, who could forget that sight? Uh, Johnny Five, all punked up, racing down the side of the docks towards is it a, is it a crane or something that he ends up using? But I mean, gets the blood flowing. That really does that one. If you want to talk about eighties, man, let's talk about the touch by Stan Bush from Transformers. That is about the, from Transformers. <laughs> Transformers is full of some absolute killer songs it really as well, is. yeah. Do you know that uh, Unicron is actually um, Orson Welles' final role ever? Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's Nexus Gold, man. You shouldn't have wasted that. I man. know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, another classic 80s one. Joe Esposito's You're the Best yeah, Around. Yeah, I've got that right next kid. to it in my list. <laughs> 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 competition montage is one of the great montages I mean it's up there with the Rocky montages <laughs> the, the the competition at the end of Karate Kid with that song over it that, that song is a fucking ripper and you know there's even I've, I've been DJing nights at Sleazy's where the people in the room are clearly like their parents weren't even into puberty when Karate Kid came out and yet <laughs> for some reason you play you're the best around and they all know it and I can't get that I, I can't figure that out now You've just you've triggered something in my head there for some reason, and it's definitely something that I should have had on my list. Um, has anyone seen uh, Night Train to Terror? No. no, I hadn't. I hadn't either until um, it was picked for an episode of our show. But um, it's basically it's uh, it's it's an anthology. It's an anthology horror film, um, and part of it is this conversation between God and the devil that takes place in a train carriage. It's it's nonsense. The film's the weirdest fucking thing. But um, <laughs> but every time it cuts back to the train, you get a snippet of this um, like all these people who are decked out, kind of like almost like they're shooting a video in the like route to the train bar like in the lobby of the train carriage <laughs> um, and there's this song called uh, Everybody But You by Joe Torano which is like this insidiously catchy like just straight shooting 80s pop song but like it just like took up residence rent free in my head for weeks afterwards Everybody's got something to do Well, I noticed you'd picked one of those for your list as well, which we'll get to. There's there's one in there that couldn't be a straighter shooting 80s ballad. <laughs> oh, yeah, another one you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, talking of 80s ballads, uh, it must have been Love by Roxette and Pretty Woman, the goodbye scene. Yeah. I close my eyes. Yeah. I mean that was the, the scene of a generation of young mm-hmm. women you know, just greeting themselves unconscious uh, and also Roxette's Almost Unreal on the soundtrack to the Super Mario Brothers movie Super which Mario I thought was Bro- equally impactful I am so glad you said that right because that is an, actually a fucking great song it's a fucking bro- it's so underrated yeah. it's a fucking great song for us to meet I love when you do Do you know, uh, 
Do you know, right, that see, see in the film Face Off, the boots that they wear and the pant, uh, you know, the magnetic boots they wear in that film, they're actually the boots from Super Mario Brothers. The exact same fucking props. I thought you were going to be like, they're the boots from the video from It Must Have Been Love. <laughs> I, I would. It's interesting as well because I think Face Off's probably the only film worse than the Super Mario Brothers film. Are you fucking mad? Oh, come on now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's dreadful. It's not even good by Nicolas Cage, John Travolta standards. It's a fucking dreadful film. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ridiculous I'd- chat. Holy shit, man. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving swiftly on an 80s tune used to really good effect in a modern film uh, Crank 2 Are You Speedwagons Keep On Loving You At the nice, end, when nice. Jason Statham's on fire, having a sort of uh, daydream, <laughs> like literally or figuratively. <laughs> no, he's 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 well in the context of the film, he's he's literally on fire, but he's daydreaming about hugging his girlfriend, and instead he's hugging the the one of the villains and burning her to death, and he's totally deranged. And you know, it would be an absolutely tremendous end to that film like like crank one was one of the only films that i've ever applauded in the cinema nice <laughs> like, you fucking did like face off good god right. man but oh no but i mean god. this is painfully <laughs> revealing shit crank, <laughs> crank is at least knowingly bad face off so it's, it's, no, it's not yeah it's not it's not enough it's not got the right balance anyway crank two the you, you get through the film and you're like, actually, you know what? That's a pretty strong follow-up. And then they almost ruin it with a final fucking shot of the movie when Statham turns the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and like gives the camera the middle finger. You've and like it's just taking your fucking life in your hands with breaking the fourth wall, man. You either get oh, that man. dead right or dead wrong. There's no middle ground. Cut that fucking film five seconds sooner, and I, I'm all over it. But I, 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 that one shot just completely made it it made it so smug you know it made it so self-aware when it did that it was like oh mm-hmm. jesus such a poor fucking judgment call but the two minutes prior to that we are your speedwagon is terrific especially just because it's a fucking great song um 80s stuff the entire film uh queen highlander just amazing Yusuf who wants to live forever mm. in that film could probably have almost made my top three. I think it's brilliant. It's really sad. Heather, his girlfriend, Connor's girlfriend in the Highlands, is aging as he's by that point obviously an immortal and staying young. It's a really, really fucking sad montage of him staying young as she gets old and dies. And uh, obviously, we've talked about that song in general before the the gravitas because of Freddie Mercury dying and knowing that he was ill and all that. Oh, it's just really, really touching. I love that. I'm staunchly of the opinion that that is the main reason why that has become a funeral song for people. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, going back a wee bit, obviously another film defined by its music, The Graduate. And here's to you, Mrs. Uh, Simon Love Apple. Share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Mrs. Robinson in that especially is mm-hmm. just legendary, isn't it? Yep. Uh, one that 
I mean, I'm a uh, spoiler alert. One that made a lot of listeners' lists is obviously. I mean, it's got to be one of the most archetypal modern uses of a uh, sort of incongruous song in a film. Uh, Where is my mind in Fight Club by Pixies? Yeah. Aye. Yeah, mm-hmm. can't argue with that. It really doesn't massively fit with the, the 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 musical aesthetic of the rest of the film. It's this it's this indie tune suddenly in in this film. It's got a lot of like kind of quite modern sort of electronic stuff. Brilliant though. I mean, clearly it suits the 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 theme. Where is my mind? But it's fuck it. It's made that song. I mean, that song was like an indie hit for Pixies fans. Mm-hmm. You know, but exponentially bigger now it's the kind of song that people who have never owned a Pixies album in their lives probably don't even know who the fuck they are will sing along with Ah, it's like a second Uh, life deal that kind of thing isn't it yeah absolutely Mm. Uh, singing along with songs Hadaway What is Love Night of the Roxbury Oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a bit of a Bohemian Rhapsody moment, like in a Wayne's World. But you know, you're going in your party night out. You put on a guilty banger. I think it works pretty well in that. I think that a couple of listeners picked up on that one as well. Uh, yeah, running out here. A uh, couple of kind of low, kind of low down tempo ones. Amy Mann's stuff in Magnolia. I think sure. it's really good. A song called Wise Up in particular, and that song, which bizarrely she withheld from Spotify. Probably because it's so popular, I'd imagine, to try and boost sales elsewhere. The other stuff is all up there, like One and things like that, but Wise Up wasn't uh, licensed. Okay. Um, there's also a kind of indie film from the mid-90s called Suburbia. Um, Giovanni Ribisi was in it. Uh, it has Feather in Your Cap, which is a B-side by Beck, and I think it was honestly one of the one of my favourite songs of the 90s. It's such a weird, ketamine downbeat indie slacker anthem. It's fucking great. Is a cut up your sleeve Place your bets at the door before you leave Um, and yeah When I saw recently, uh, Shitlist by L7 in Natural Born Killers Oh, nice Anyone remember that scene? The diner scene, where she's yeah. kicking the absolute fuck out of mm-hmm. that guy. Mm-hmm. And this is the one, I couldn't decide if this song, I, I couldn't remember actually, this song was diegetic. Now the term diegetic, for listeners, Mark, do you want to explain? Because we should probably do our due diligence here. Yeah, so diegetic music is basically music that is occurring within the film, in the world of the film itself. So either it's a song which the, maybe the artist is singing, or even if it's a song coming out of a radio or anything like that like that's the music that's within the scene um, and then non-diegetic is soundtrack music essentially yeah music that's put over the scene mm-hmm. and there's stuff that straddles it but it's still known as diegetic right so it starts in the scene mm-hmm. 
and then the scene moves on without it. Yeah, kind mm-hmm. of, and the the song continues. Yeah, I can't remember if they put on the jukebox in that scene in Natural Born Killers, or if the song just starts. But Juliette Lewis' character in it is singing along sporadically with the song, so there's like a little bit of a a wall break there. That, but it works really well in the context. That film's got some really good stuff in it. Again, I think Trent Reznor was involved in the choices. Um, it's got a Nine Inch Nails track in it, something I can never have. A scene that's quite claustrophobic, where they're losing their mind and hallucinating. It's really well used as well. And uh, yeah, last two, couldn't not mention that weird version of the Godspeed You Black Emperor track in 28 Days Later. That sort of came to sort of symbolise the film itself. And a house in a heartbeat. That's the one you're thinking of. I can't remember the name of it at all, man, at this point. But um, when he's Is there not an Explosions in the Sky in 28 Days Later as well? Or have I made that up? I don't think they were a thing then, man. I don't no, think maybe they were not. about... What's I think the, the, majo- is the majority... Is it Godspeed when he's out on the bridge and he's looking around? Is that Godspeed? That's the... Yeah, that's the kind of modified version of something from uh, F-sharp, A-sharp, Infinity. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, but it wasn't on the soundtrack because Godspeed refused to license it to Warner. Uh, they refused to let them release any of their stuff. Fuck um, you, man. Get yourself yeah, another Patsy, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the last one is one that I saw really recently, and I, it, it caught me so off guard that I let it, like a little laugh in the cinema, which was also highly impro- inappropriate given the nature of the film. Uh, has anybody seen, I don't know if any of you have been, even been to the cinema since lockdown, but uh, St. Maud? I saw it um Fight Fist Glasgow. Fucking brilliant film. So really, good, really yeah, good it's, it's, it's brilliant, um, yeah. Do you remember the bar scene in that when she's out having a pint and she's kind of trying to hook up? Remember that one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the the song that's playing in the background of that is a song called "The Associate" by the Jesus Lizard. And, I mean, you're literally talking maybe my favourite band of all time. Okay. And it's so off-kilter, woozy, ugly, that song. It's a brilliant choice. It's got this kind of wandering, meandering bass line that's just really atonal. And it suits the scene fucking brilliantly. Um, I have no idea who had the, the bright idea to pick that, but mm-hmm. my hat is well and truly off to them. I think it's fucking inspired. Cool. Um, so, yeah. That's, I mean, uh, like, I, like, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, when you when you started talking about that scene, it's like, ah, should I remember that music cue? Like, I was like, I'm really not sure. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I mean, it's it, it, it's it's set within the context of the bar. Like, it's meant to be on in the bar jukebox sure. or whatever. But it's it, it stands out to me because it's such an unusual song, but mm-hmm. also such an unusual choice. They're not a band you usually hear appearing in in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I loved that. That was catnip. Um, but yeah, that's that's what that's all my odds and sods. That's me done my admin. Before we go in, Mark, do you have more that you've not chosen? I've got more uh, that I've not chosen. Yeah, I've got mm. like I've got three pages of stuff. Um, do you want to go first, Dave? Will I go first, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just had a few big hitters. Um, okay. I remember when I was fifteen. It's a film that I, I I don't know if I'd really watch now, but I remember in Snatch, it used uh, Angel by Massive Attack really really well. Oh, 
I oh, think I- it's maybe when they go and burn down the like the travelers' camp. I think, and it's like, I mean, Massive Attack do very cinematic music anyway, but like that's just a fucking great baseline, very dramatic. I guess this is one that counts as a sort of opening credits, and it's the end by the Doors at the start of Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, yeah, <laughs> I mean, lovely. Pretty much defines an era. It's um, amazing. It's also kind of inspired to use the end at the start. Yeah, exactly. No, um, it's, it's a cool touch in that one. I, I've got Hip to be Square in American Psycho. <laughs> Yes. I mean, fucking Lewis in the news. Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, a couple of listeners picked that as well. It's like you're you're playing in my hands with that man. I love that so much. Like, yeah, it's so great. Um, I mean, that you know, have you read the book American Psycho? Yes. Yeah. Right. So I, I absolutely think it's fucking genius in the book when he does those chapters that deviate into like the back catalogue of Mariah Carey or yeah, or the back catalogue of news or Phil Collins. Yeah, Phil yeah. Collins. Yeah, it's Phil Collins. He talks about and then yeah. they changed it for the movie. I think. Yeah, no, he, does, abs- does, he talks about uh, that album as well, and yeah. there's a chapter oh, yeah, on that album yeah, in the book. That's right. <laughs> he, he does a bunch of them, but they, they, that is such a brilliant device that Brett Easton Ellis used in that book to 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 illustrate his obsessive, disordered thinking, disorganized thinking. I, I fucking absolutely loved that, and so in the film. It was a nice. You couldn't have a whole part of the film that was the backstory of Phil Collins, um, but you could make allusions to the music of that era and some of the artists that were talked about in the book uh, in that way. And so that was a perfect point. And the contrast of it with the, you know this, the the upbeat nature of the song with the scene that it's depicting is fucking brilliant, man. Really, really well chosen. Um, one I chose that. I mean, it's a classic, but it works really well because it's repurposed. Is uh, singing in the rain. And I mean, obviously from the original, but then Kubrick repurposed oh. it for brutal effect. And I mean, it's like a motif that like ties the entire Clock movie together. Here. Yeah, exactly. I um, am. A, this this was an outlier on my list. I almost had this. Um, and it just it works so well, and it works because of the song it is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, just one more, and it's one that actually I watched Annihilation for the first time last night. Oh yes. Uh, Chris says he thought it was shite. I enjoyed oh, it. I like it. After that, um, but funnily enough, like the whole soundtrack is scored by Jeff Barrow and I can't remember the name of the other guy, but Jeff from Portishead. Um, but then there's just one part in when they're you know at the end and it's spoiler alert they're in a lighthouse. Yeah, for fuck's so sake, much yeah. spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> no, no point in watching it now. Um, but yeah, like there's a slight change. And it's just a really dramatic bit of music, and it turns out that that's from a track by Moderat. Um, which came out about five or six years ago, and it fits perfectly with the score. Um, it's called The Mark Interlude and it, op- it opens up one of their albums um, but it was yeah just funnily enough I heard that last night and I checked out the soundtrack 
yeah, all original score apart from that one bit, which is the one that I was like, oh, I really like that bit. So yeah, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, yeah, there, there's there's my outliers. Mark, you must have a couple. I have a, I have a few. I <laughs> um, I'll start off with uh, "Fight the Power" by Public Enemy from "Do the Right Thing." Okay. Have you guys seen that? Um, yes. So that like that's that film plays throughout the that song plays throughout the entire film on Video mm-hmm. Rahim's boombox for the whole thing. The film was that the song was actually written for the film and then they decided to put it on Fear of a Black Planet afterwards. Um and the message of the film and the song are just kinda of intertwined basically. It's really cool that it's played throughout and obviously Spike Lee knew that. Um no more time it stops is at the end when Samuel Jackson plays an alarm as a he's a radio DJ and then he says wake up so it's like a really cool use of diegetic and non-diegetic music working at the same time um, another one which was one of the first ones that's popped into my head was uh, Jump Out of the Fire by Harry Nielsen and Goodfellas you know the helicopter scene I mean, there's a whole bunch of songs played in that, but it keeps recurring. It keeps coming back to this song, and I don't know if you guys know, but the use of music in Goodfellas is like super specific. So there's certain tunes put at certain times in the film to depict like Henry's like mental state or where he is in his life, and mm-hmm. this is one of them. Obviously, at this point, he's freaking out. He's taking a ton of coke. He's he's really paranoid. He's getting followed by a helicopter, obviously, <laughs> uh, and at the end, he gets caught. Um, so and, and the lyrics of the song kind of play along with that and the song itself kind of keeps fading out and coming back in it's really really cool I get like Martin Scorsese is pretty famous for his use of music and he, you know there's a few that he chooses specifically quite a few times I can't remember oh, I mean there's Gimme Shelter Layla mm-hmm. uh, what else oh, and that fucking terrible dropkick Murphy's song in The Departed Ship up to Boston, yeah. Up to Boston. I actually think that works works really well. well. I, I like it. I fucking hate like it. Um, but uh, get, like when you say Scorsese, the, weirdly the thing that springs to my mind is give me uh, give me shelter at the start of the Departed. I love that. Yeah, it's so cool. Another one I had was Twist and Shout from Ferris, Bueller, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ah, oh, fucking yes, man, definitely. <laughs> and there's a lot, there's a couple of good needle drops in that. But when he's doing the karaoke thing and the whole mm-hmm. brass band are playing in the in the um, parade, that's super cool. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a Tarantino list. And I've got a Wes Anderson list. No doubt. <laughs> um, and I've also got an Edgar Wright list. So the Tarantino okay. one, uh, it's okay. I'll keep it. I'll keep it dead brief. Um, obviously, the biggest one is Steelers Wheel. Um, stuck in the middle from Reservoir Dogs, which everybody knows. I'm not going to say too much on that. If you, if you yep. don't know it, go and watch the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a Cross 110 Street by Bobby Womack and the intro to Jackie Brown when she's walking through the airport. Mm-hmm. Super Love that. cool. I was the first brother of a fire. 
doing whatever I had to do to survive. I'm not saying what I did was all right. My favourite use of song in one of his films is Cat People by Bowie and Inglourious Bastards. Yes, that's incredible. Um, it's the most scene. It's, so it's really an really anachronistic, but it's when uh, Sosana, 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 she's basically getting ready to kill all the Nazis in the theatre, mm-hmm. and she's getting dressed in cat power and cat people's plane. It's so cool, man. I, mm-hmm. when, I remember when I seen the cinema, I was like, "What the fuck is that doing in this film?" Because this is yeah. set in it's World War Two, and it's it's dead. Like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> Works really I, well. I, that that probably g- almost helps, in fact, with that sort of uh, fake history side of it you know the, the fact that the film is a reimagining the fact that it's not a, an yeah, account, it's like, realistic it's account. definitely a film it's not a, you know like yeah history yeah it's like it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the entire thing is historical revisionism I'm not going to split hairs about David Bowie being on the track you know? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm full of hot takes but I, I would put that up there as maybe Quentin Tarantino's best movie it's I'd, up there I'd for probably, me I'd probably agree with that yeah aye, it's, it's, it might be my favourite actually yeah yeah aye, it's, it's, it's fucking magic man. in terms of rewatchability it is fucking outstanding see um, just when you were talking about closing credits things really quickly something just occurred to me like um, has anyone seen Win Win um, I don't think so tell me more uh, about that film I may have seen it so um, it's a Tom McCarthy film who went on to make uh, Spotlight that won Best Picture a few years ago. Um, and he's made a couple of films that I really love. Um, uh, the Visitor, The Station Agent, stuff like that. All these kind of like fairly simple stories that are told with maybe three or four characters on a very small budget. Um, Win Win was like a step up. It had like Paul Giamatti and Melanie Winsky and people like that in it. And basically Paul Giamatti plays this lawyer who is up against it financially, um, has this elderly client who's kind of starting to kind of just descend into senility a little bit. And he kind of finds this window to solve his financial problems in a way that is kind of like ethically unsound, but no one gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And the story kind of widens out from there and it kind of has to pull into this bittersweet, ethically sound ending. And um, the closing credit song, and I was never going to make it out of the back of this without mentioning the national. But um, uh, uh. but um, I think you can wait by the national, which is a song that they wrote for that. We've been losing our exes one by one plays over the end of it and I always just think that like any time that a guy in his 40s has to make a bittersweet compromise in his like day-to-day blue-collar life I feel like the National should be playing <laughs> it seems like uh, very much sort of over it doesn't it <laughs> well, it's, no, it's, it's certainly mine yeah it's like, it's, like, it's like I am getting increasingly comfortable about bands who sing about inadequacy and back pain so like um, uh, yeah oh my god anytime anybody in a cheap suit has to walk home in the rain with an umbrella, <laughs> the National should be playing <laughs> Like I can, I, I, I can hear the disparaging tone in your voice, which makes me even more angry that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to go back to Tarantino for a sec. Speaking of hot takes, I think Kill Bill One and Two are two of his worst films. Either right? pish, I'm not a fan either. No. But Bang Bang by Nancy Sinatra at the very start of Kill Bill Volume One, when the bride is is basically like with some black and white and she's dying. Mm. I think that's a really good use of music. There. Bye. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Really, really well done. And my last one, which is less obvious, but 
It's a Pulp Fiction when Marcus is explaining to Butch that he should take the deal because he's he's getting old and he should throw the fight. In the background, let's stay together, but Al Green's playing. <laughs> just like a really good little connection nice. there which which works really well something just occurred to me and I, I don't know why but I'm going to just move out of this whole thing for a sec uh, and go and talk about the, the song Still by the Ghetto Boys and Off Space when they're beating the fuck out of the printer oh, like, it's beast, that's so good beast, yeah. <laughs> I like <laughs> I haven't seen Office Space. I fucking love Office Space, man. Yeah, there's another fucking great bit of music in that is the when he's in the car playing the the gangster rap. That's exact same band, Ghetto Boys. Is it the same band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And he turns it down when the black man walks past the car. Yeah, it's exactly it's exact same artist. It's pretty cool. Mike um, Judge. I was going to mention that as well. It's, that is brilliant. That's uh, my, my Wes Anderson one, I've only got two to add to that. Uh, we've also already said Needle on the Hay, but Making Time by the Creation at the very start of Rushmore. So Brian Cox, the character, says he's the worst student that we have, and then basically <laughs> it's the creation. It's a song playing over like a montage of all the extra extracurricular activities that, that is like, great. You're right. in, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just tells you so much about the character, like straight away. Yeah, what you, everything you need to know about him is encapsulated in, in the, the, those sort of scenes, and it's really cool. And the final scene of um, Life Aquatic by Steve Zissou when Search and Destroy by Iggy Pop is playing in the studios, mm-hmm. and he's just shooting pirates and being pure badass <laughs> while he's in a bathrobe, <laughs> open chested. <laughs> so good. <laughs> See, um, while you're on your Wes Anderson kick, uh, I'd actually one that got mentioned by a listener. I think it was, in fact, I think it was Vicky, or sometimes host that. Uh, Mentioned Oyoko's use in Rushmore. Yeah, that's good as well. Uh, which is, I mean, it's really romantic the way it's used in that film. I have to say, the lyrics of that song grind my gears. John and Yoko grind my gears like no end. I've fucking can't stand all that pish but it is really brilliantly used mm-hmm. uh, at that bit of that film also I can't remember the name of the song oh, um, just Serge uh, also uh, puts his name oh, he does like, he does like I met, basically he does loads of different boy songs throughout the film Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Life Aquatic. I mean, that works that really got, well just throughout. Yeah. It's quite an yeah. interesting method of doing it, just like yeah. repurpose an entire back catalogue. Mm-hmm. And one thing about popped out of my head there, I can't remember the end of the song, but there's a Kink song in the Darjeeling Limited when they're running for the train, slow motion. Oh, oh that's good. That's really good, actually. Yeah, you're right.
actually, I mean, I think it's a really great film. It's yeah, somewhat underrated. It's, mm. it's a really touching movie. Yeah. I'm going to scoot through Edgar Wright real quick here as well. Obviously, Don't Stop Me Now and, and Shaun of the Dead. Just, it's, just, <laughs> it's just funny. There's a couple uh, of- Also, 80s Matchbox Beeline, Disaster and Shaun of the Dead. Yep. Uh, caught by the Fuzz is in Hot Fuzz is over the end credits. You're talking oh, about it on. That's great really cool. song. Yeah. I really like Black Sheep by Metric and Shaun of the Dead. I'm not, I don't really think much of Metric, but I think the song works really well and the, the, that band are playing it at, at that time. And it, it, you, You're going to have to go over that when I nominate them. It says so much. <laughs> uh, I'm Free by the Soup Dragons in the World's End, which is mm-hmm. awesome. And pretty much the entirety of Baby Driver. All of it. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, Bell Bottoms by uh, John Spencer Blues Inclusion. Yeah, That's amazing. Star. So yeah. good, man. Yeah, admittedly that's a fucking ripper, but that film can fuck off. I love that film so much, man. Is that because is that is that because of you not liking the film, or because of cast members turning out to be beasts? Spoiler alert! Yeah, I've known Kevin Spacey was a beast for a lot longer than that. I got in, um, I went for lunch with one a co-star uh, from a, a previous film years ago, who clued me in on some horrendous stuff about Kevin Spacey, far worse than he's been found guilty for. Ah, okay. Um, uh, that'll tell you when we're not recording. My final mo- final honourable mention for Edgar Wright is uh, the A Team in Space. I know it's a TV show. <laughs> fucking hell! I was going to say, like, yeah, yeah, okay. Play fast and loose with your own rules. Yeah, there. It's, I just had to because Edgar Wright had to bring it in. Do you sure. guys remember the scene? They're in the club. They're all pulled at their faces. Uh, yeah. Mike starts starts doing the A Team dance, and the whole <laughs> the whole nightclub are dancing along with them. It's just so funny and it's brilliant. And yeah, I just had to drop that in there. That covers right. it for me. Handsome. Well, that, um, that, that's uh, a good 45 minutes on songs we haven't chosen. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Okay. Good. 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 So, uh, I I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I didn't make any other plans tonight. That's like, I had a feeling this would happen. <laughs> yeah. It always happens. Yeah. So, uh, all right. We'll try and, we'll try and uh, plan ahead here, right? So, we'll do some of our lists and then we'll maybe take a break and come back in part two of this show. So, uh, I think, Mitch, if you feel like picking a few at random off your list and we'll we'll give them a give them a crack sure i um so i want to say in step with what mark told me to do i have got eight and two wild cards yes yeah the wild cards being songs that we think would make great moments in films uh but have as far as we're aware not already been used i'd be really surprised if either of my two have and i don't know about it but who can say um (laughs) um but yeah i can i can pick a couple if you like Mm, go for it right okay so I know that you make a playlist of this afterwards and I don't like being the guy that picks Freebird (laughs) 
<laughs> because realistically, if you shuffle play a playlist, nobody wants nine minutes of Freebird. No, no. Um, what two minutes of Freebird? But yeah. But like, um, but um, I, I think that I, I, I chose it because I'm not, I'm not mad about Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. No, I kind of feel he like, definitely should be. I kind of, I kind of feel like I, yeah, I love the idea of him being a horror filmmaker. Um, but I think that, like, I think that he loves too much stuff. I think that, like, I, I, I feel like he is trying to pay homage to so much stuff at once that it's sometimes very hard to really feel like he hammers down any one style. And I think the closest that he gets to getting that right is probably in *The Devil's Rejects*. Or maybe it's just a hack, match. Maybe. maybe just a hack. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of feel like a bit like. Eli Roth, he got a wee bit too caught up in the sort of grindhousey vibes of that era, and just for me, he got the balance wrong, and I was never really able to get back into him. Some of those directors, I just think they they got the line between fun horror and actually genuinely unpleasant, like violence, just a bit wrong, and I just couldn't get back inside. Um, even when Eli Roth kind of pulled away for that a little bit with things like Knock Knock and stuff like that, I like Knock Knock, but which nobody else does. Like, I'm the person in the world that likes Knock Knock the most. I think that he balances tones really badly, and I don't think that Rob Zombie does a particularly good job of that in general either. But I think that the closest that he gets to getting it right is in The Devil's Rejects, which is not a film that I love, but I do think that it's got a great use of Freebird in it. <laughs> it does yeah. have a great um, use of Freebird. It's true. And, and, like, and like I say, I mean, like, I... I'm sketch of it, including it, in the same way as the kind of like, um, you know, uh, the no stairway sign in Wayne's World. I feel like there should be a no free bird conversation. Um, Devil's Rejects, for anyone that hasn't seen it, you've got the Firefly family who are this kind of like ragtag group of horrendous misfits. And you've got this properly southern fried exploitation film where you've got this, like these guys carrying out this horrendous uh, trail of violence. Um, that ends with them driving their open top vehicle into this kind of police barricade. And they kind of resign themselves to the oncoming death and batter on into it as Freebird plays. I think that I probably, if I was to watch it back now, and I, I've rewatched Devil's Reasons a couple of times, but not for a few years. But I feel like if I was to revisit it now, I would probably like, I would say that I probably give the rest of the film too much credit because I like the ending so much. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that like, because it sticks the landing so well, because you just see them kind of just going out all guns blazing and getting shot to hell as the song kind of accelerates and I think and I think it's amazing I think it looks so good and I mean in this kind of like I say the southern fried Texas exploitation story like there's no better song to finish it on than this yeah it's one of yeah. those ones where could it be any other song probably not I think so, like, it's it's the best choice in a lot of ways you know I think a lot of the heavy lifting for that end it is a great ending uh, but I do think a lot of the heavy lifting and as you said Rob Zombie tends to uh, try and nod to a lot of things at the one time was done by previous great movies I mean you can see that sort of you can see that sort of model in Vanishing Point you can see that sort of model in Thelma and Louise mm-hmm. even you can mm-hmm. see it in Butch, Butch and Sundance they sort of going out in a blaze of glory like, you know like even Young Guns for God's sake you know the the, the, the blaze of glory ending with the, the, the almost unlikable characters kind of redeemed by this glorious suicide at the end and it is satisfying to watch them die as the viewer because you've seen them inflicting so much cruelty so there's a payoff in that sense it is um, satisfying to watch them die absolutely yeah, you're 100% and, right and I think one thing that a good song especially a, a climactic song like that has to do it has to complement the 
aesthetic of the film because it's your lasting impression it's like if you're in a band you finish strong you know if you're in a if you're doing a film especially a genre piece you do you finish strong it gets that 70s vibe that manson era american south and midwest sort of creepy life is worth less sort of feel it gets that right and it also just gets the kind of trashy hickness right because leonard skinner are this quasi racist hick band and that whole film plays on the kind of quasi racism and hickness and it's got that hills of eyes type inbred creepiness to it see i agree and i think i was looking at it and i was like i thought the same things as you just kind of articulated there better than i could have but um i looked at it and i was kind of like is this what he's doing or am i projecting that onto this but i think that regardless it's like it's a really satisfying watch the only frustrating thing about it i guess is that i think that he undid a lot of goodwill from that by making three from hell i was going to say that so Hmm. one of the things that mitch and i have have spoken about in the past is i'm not much a horror fan (laughs) and uh i have actually seen house for a thousand corpses and devil rejects i haven't seen three from hell because i was don't like 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 let let this be the end of the story don't watch three from hell Bye. Yeah, I was going to ask the exact question you just said, the exact thing you just said there. I was like, does, does he undo that by bringing them back to life, essentially, for the third film? To, an, to a certain extent, I think he probably does. Like, um, it's it's annoying, because like I say, I mean, like, I, I don't think... I, I like A House of a Thousand Corpses. I think it's fine. And I like Devil's Rejects, but I think it ends incredibly strong. And, it, and it's this perfect kind of poetic justice ending to what we know about this family. But... It's really maddening because I, I remember like within about the first 10 minutes or so of uh, Three from Hell, I was like, oh, I see. I understand. I'm going to hate this. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I think like and it was like it was wasteful. It feels really cynical and very opportunistic to try and bleed more story out of that when he'd ended it in a perfectly satisfying way. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I th- you also touched on an interesting idea there. Like, are you projecting? And is that partly influenced by the song? And I think it, it, it almost certainly is. And actually... There is definitely a case to be made that a lot of these great moments in films are actually relying more on a great bit of music doing, again, the heavy lifting that the director can't do. So it's like an okay bit in a film, an okay such and such, an okay ending, an okay death scene, a moving such and such scene. But it's it's amplified by a very, very good, whether it's luck or whether it's actually really good judgment or maybe a really good producer, like uh, the choice of something. And ah, this, like, a, like a good music supervisor, a good somebody. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like, I'm just, just like you sometimes it's like, oh, that's really smart. That's obviously what they were trying to do. And then you're like, mm-hmm. am I filling a space there mm-hmm. myself? I mean, like, a, like, you so, know, so here's the thing. You, you go back and watch the film Clerks. Um, which is a really enjoyable movie, uh, albeit really naive, but the film was really, half the story was the music about about Clerks. It gave it so much of its charm and its cult appeal. introduced people to a whole load of great bands. And I think sometimes once the once the dust clears once the dust settles you do actually realize like you know what that film's actually not that amazing or that scene's okay but fuck they chose a great song for it you know sometimes when directors have, have also written the the script for the film they're doing they'll actually put the music cues in the script as well i think oh, yeah. i think the way that that's cut together at the end of that film was probably that was probably written in the script there's no <laughs> way that that was cut and edited on the fly to something he clearly had that I think he must have I, I hate that I'm giving him so much fucking credit for this but he clearly no. had that thought I think you know when he was mm. making like, the end of that it's, like, it's, it's, it's quite a good observation I think like I think, I think you're probably right to be fair like I think like it, it all like it all falls so kind of poetically and so rhythmically and, and in such a satisfying way that you kind of feel like it must have been written for that to be 
how it played out. And one thing that occurred to me when I was watching it back earlier on today was the fact that see the amount of shots and the amount of different cuts and the amount of different camera angles that are used. It must have been the biggest pain in the arse to actually film so put together. Yeah, leaving <laughs> that to leaving that to happenstance, I don't. I, it was probably something that didn't happen. I think that was probably done with that in mind. Remember, um, we spoke during the ooh, what episode was it? I can't remember what episode it was, but we spoke about uh, two thousand and one AD Space Odyssey mm-hmm. and how Kubrick had actually just put those songs, those bits of music in there as placeholders. Mm-hmm. He'd like edited it. This is what I want to depict. This is this is the edit, and then he tried to commission original score, but then the commission, the original score just wasn't cutting it. So he went with the with this, the placeholder songs. That's why the whole lack of attribution and then the court case and stuff all came out of that. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, as you say, it's, it's, it's a case of someone writing to the scene or, or edit, sorry, someone editing the scene based on the song and then not being able, in his case, not being able to retrofit that. Baby mm-hmm. Driver actually did that as well. Most of the things that have got music on were actually filmed on set with the music and edited on set to show what it looked like and know when to recut it and, and when to do different takes different camera angles and stuff because yeah. a lot of the songs were actually in the script well we'll actually come back to that for I think it's one of David's choices because uh, certain Scottish director did the same thing with his mm-hmm. um, interesting yeah hit us with another one Mitch um, <laughs> I feel weird that the first two that I had were both from films that I don't particularly care for but I thought they were interesting <laughs> choices mm-hmm. um, so I've got um, Every Time by Britney Spears from Harmony Green's Spring Breakers. Every time I try to fly, I fall without my wings. I feel so small. I guess I need you, baby. And every time I see you in my mind. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, fucking love this song. I'm just putting it out there. I think it's like a fucking you, great pop you, ballad. It's sad I'm, as fuck. I love it. You know what? It's like, don't care for the film. Love the song. Um, <laughs> Thank fuck you said that because I find this such a deeply unlikable movie. Just fucking plain unlikable. I cannot get into it. Yeah. And I think it's so fucking smug as well. And it, I, I get why this song works. It was a really, it was a really interesting choice. You know, they've gone diegetic or perhaps diuretic with it. <laughs> Way, um, I see but, what you did there. <laughs> but for me, it. It, instead of improving it, it actually pushes it even further in the wrong direction. It just, it, I really, really cannot get with this film. It's it got such good write ups as well. It does, yeah. Friends with great taste rate it, and I just, I don't see it at all. I mean, like, I, I'm not a massive Harmony Green guy in general. Like, uh, it's 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 not a style of filmmaking that particularly works for me. But like, I don't know. I think so. Obviously, Spring Breakers for anyone that hasn't seen it, you have um, these four girls who go to Florida on spring break and meet in with this incredibly eccentric drug dealer played by James Franco and what I think is kind of one of the early indicators of how kind of like cancelled he might be <laughs> well yeah I guess so actually yeah, yeah, yeah. cancel button but like yeah like you can kind of see it like existing on the periphery of problematic yes <laughs> um, with this but I mean like I'm, I think it's I think it's interesting and like I said I mean I I completely agree with you I don't, I don't like the film but um, I think that when you see like these four girls and like what they descend into I think like obviously like the kind of apex of it is this crime wave montage that you get that's set to every time I don't think it's a coincidence that they chose that song and like I said Mark it's something you mentioned earlier it starts off diegetic and then it kind of lifts into the song mm-hmm. because to begin with they're all gathered around the piano and uh, he's, he's air quotes playing it mm-hmm. um, and then we, we kind of see this montage and I mean like I don't know. I th- I don't like this film. I think that this is a really well put together sequence. I like it a lot. 
Um, it doesn't earn back enough goodwill for me to retrofit that into liking the film, not at all. But um, I think it's interesting, but I also think it's not a coincidence. You know, you've got like Britney Spears, who was the Mickey Mouse Club person, and every time was written about a dark period in her life and her career. And like, you've got Vanessa Hudgens and Selena Gomez, both in this film, who both like largely rose to prominence through Disney properties. Mm-hmm. Um, Selena Gomez with um, Wizards of Waverly Place and Vanessa Hudgens with High School Musical. I think that it's again, this is one of those things where it's like, I feel like this is a kind of a fun loss of innocence nod. Yeah. Or that's how I see it. Yeah. Well, it's quite Alternatively, an it's quite an interesting time capsule in terms of late noughties, you know, early 2010s American youth culture and yeah, the loss of innocence. See, I think that, and it's like, and I, again, I mean, I, I, this could have just been a, 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 like an ironic use of a pop song in a violent sequence for no reason other than the juxtaposition is funny. But mm-hmm. I don't believe it's a coincidence, and I think that it's cool for that reason. Like, I, like, mm-hmm. and like I say, and I think that as well. I think that when you've watched it, because I, I knew from like five, six minutes in that I was not going to like Spring Breakers. <laughs> um, so I think that when you can at around about the hour mark pull me back into the extent with one sequence you're doing something right i mean yeah. don't get me wrong i immediately checked out again mm-hmm. like when when kind of normality resumed but i felt like it was worth a mention because it kind of pulled me back in so much in a film that i otherwise think is like a horrendous piece of garbage it was ranked <laughs> in the bbc's 100 greatest films of the 21st century Fuck hell. that <laughs> all the way out the door oh, oh my god man. also another Holy little bit shit. of trivia a uh, this, a sequel was planned for a bit but never happened um, um, and Jonas Ackerland formerly, formerly of Bathory was attached to direct <laughs> at one point um, uh, Irvin Welsh was supposed to write it yeah that's right what yeah uh-huh. Aye, that, was like, that, was, that was fully a thing for like a year wasn't it I remember that it seems like it's in his wheelhouse as a writer to be honest I like, I like I think like that director writer combination that would have been good, but I mean like yeah nobody was going to throw a five million budget at that. But like I mean I would have watched it. <laughs> I'm just delighted this isn't a future we had to live in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're just you're just glad that this got nipped in the bud and you just didn't have to think about it until right now. Uh, absolutely, I'm just choking for us to start talking. And also, sorry, I, I just want to. <laughs> Was J- James Franco's character was kind of based on the rapper Hip uh, Riff Raff? Is that not right? And I think he oh ended God, up. God, I, I have literally no idea. And he, I think he tried to sue them for copying his life. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, the film is about you know he's a terrible man, but he's like, hey, this is my life. You can't do this. So um, yeah, Riff Raff's an interesting guy. I mean, a terrible guy, but an interesting guy. Yeah, he's trying to like claim copyright over the particular brand of problematic that he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like when I think Lindsay Lohan sued uh, Grand Theft Auto Five for just having an idiot celebrity in it, and she was like, "Hey, that's me. You can't use me." <laughs> so um, you know, like the um, the record for like the most that's ever been paid out for a libel lawsuit in Australia is Rebel Wilson suing people suing some magazine for saying because she's always made herself out to be from kind of like she calls herself like a. Bogan, which I guess is kind of like mm-hmm. um, it's like Australian mm-hmm. lingo for I guess like kind of working yeah, like class, like a redneck or a chav. It's like working yeah. class, yeah, basically. Yeah, but then somebody like some magazine or other was like, she's from a very privileged upbringing, and her parents have shitloads of money, and she was like, do they fuck? And they had to pay her like four million dollars. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and now they do. And now they do have shitloads of money. Yeah. <laughs> and then she and then she moved her family into a nice house. Yeah. yeah fuck it. 
Mitch? Um, so we talked about Drive. Yes, we did. Mm. And I think that basically any time... Because I, lo- I love the score in Drive. I love Cliff Martinez's score. But I think that basically any time there's like a an original song or like a, a music cue in there, I think it gets it right. Um, I have gone for the lazy option and gone for A Real Hero from college and Electric Youth. Best song of the film. You're fucking wrong. That wasn't the sound. <laughs> yes, Martin. That 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 was the sound of seventy five percent of the women in the theatre sliding off their fucking chairs as Ryan <laughs> Gosling reveals that he's got like his tender fatherly side to compliment his kind of roguish, effortlessly stylish, tough, enigmatic exterior. It's like a fucking ridiculously idealized fucking version of a boy from the wrong side of the tracks, and this yep. tune is just. Uh, sexual diabetes, man. That's- <laughs> yep, it leans so hard into it, and that's exactly why I love it. It's like I, I like I love the fact that everything like about the A to B storytelling a drive. The, it's a great the score- film, a great film. I love it. That's a cracking but film. The, yeah, but like, but like the this- story, like what scores the storytelling and the kind of like the actual mechanics of the story of it is so dense and so sensitive that I love the fact that they pick these massive pop moments to underscore certain things, and the things that spring to mind are Kavinsky, which we spoke about in the last episode, Night Call, which is brilliant, and. Yeah. I think it's funny that the theme song that we associate with Ryan Gosling's character in this is this incredibly saccharine pop song, which we mostly associate with kicking in after he performs reprehensible acts of violence. Yes. <laughs> like, so I, 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 think, I think it's probably doing it a disservice to just be like, oh, it's like, a, it's like this kind of like sugary pop thing to underscore the hero of the piece. I think it is trying to be at least vaguely subversive. I, like, he's, I, well, he's, I, he's think, it, I fucking... think it gets it right. He's by the river with a fucking toddler. He's, He's carrying a toddler back as the sun goes down. Fuck off, man. Yeah, but then, but, but then her husband gets shot to shit in a botched robbery. Yeah, and then he has to go on a graphically, confrontationally, horrifically violent vengeance mission. So, you know what? It's like, that moment? Yeah. Saccharin. I have a question. Ugly after that. Have yes. Question. What is the better use of a claw hammer, old boy or drive? <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, old boy's a bit more stylish, isn't it? Like in uh, terms I don't know of, about that. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. In terms know. of the actual scene, um, I, 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 it's difficult to argue with old boy. To be fair, I think <laughs> I, I like. Um, I, I, I would honestly probably old boy. But um, I think the one thing that I think is funny. I mean, like, because I mean, I, I love Drive, and I actually I love Only God Forgives as well. But I do think as well that like beyond the back of it, after like, when I when I saw Only God Forgives in theaters, I came out the other side of it being like, God, I wish I loved anything as much as Nicholas <laughs> Winding Refn loves long unbroken shots of a partially lit Ryan Gosling not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, there's a in the trailer for Only God Forgives. There's a song by the band Sons S U U N S. 2020 mm-hmm. which is really fucking cool and then it's not used in the film and it's not on the soundtrack well that's annoying which, which is annoying but it's like a really great tune actually yeah the music director for the trailer got it spot on <laughs> <laughs> oh well you just reminded me of something by the way i was talking to our, our friend of the pod ben power about this episode a couple of nights ago and he asked me to draw attention to this horrible new trend that i think is somehow sprouted from out of bank adverts and the like, which is to take classic songs. I think I know what you're going to say, but go on. In, yeah. in trailers, do these like slowed down 
gothy <laughs> acoustic versions of them and it started with like Lloyd's TSB but now it's gone into movie trailers that's not a new trend stores. that's been going on for at least a decade man <laughs> no but like, the, the, the jump to movie trailers is, is newer it was in bank adverts for a decade but now it's this fucking it's appearing in films uh, with bank adverts and stuff I kind of feel like it's um, these kind of big pop songs that are reduced to like a one vocal and ukulele thing and I think that the film trailer yeah. equivalent is like slowed down doomy dense electronic versions of 80s and 90s pop standards mm-hmm. yes that's true that's true yeah. anyway yeah I mean Real Hero's good it's good it's not for my money as good as uh, Kavinsky tune um, but you know what you gonna do we've all got different opinions uh, so C- can we do it? Can we do Stay I Missed You? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I could not not include this. Um, has anyone seen After Midnight? Right, so here's the thing. I can't fucking believe I've not seen After Midnight having looked into this. I don't know what I was doing or how it got in my blind spot, but it's like fucking driving and hitting a kid and then not stopping. It's <laughs> yeah, like, also on YouTube. Made for it's, you. It's, I mean, quite, it's ridiculous, yeah. It's quite, it's quite easy to miss. Uh, so has, has nobody seen it? I've seen no. it, yeah, yeah. I saw it. Oh, yeah. oh cool, okay. Um, I I have to admit, I was maybe it was maybe late at night. <laughs> I, mean, I had a few saying. ports and maybe some jazz cigarettes. <laughs> sure, and, um, but like, oh, so, I, you were, so you so you were listening to Coltrane while you were watching it. Yeah, crazy. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Understand, um, okay. That's exactly when I listened to Lisa Loeb anyway. Jazz <laughs> <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah. I only hear what I want to. I don't listen hard. Don't pay attention to the distance that you're running to anyone, anywhere. I don't understand if you really care. I'm only hearing negative. Fucking right, man. It speaks to me. Okay, so 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 you've kind of seen it, is what you're saying? Yeah. But man, I really enjoyed it. I did really enjoy it. It's it's it's, it's a really awesome movie. So, so like so so you guys you haven't you you guys haven't seen no, it. No, I've, I've I've seen the clip. Uh, the I've seen the clip. Yeah, I've seen the clip. Yeah, yeah. The clip is good. So um so I like I I don't know how much to talk about this. I mean like I know we spoke about spoiler tag can and it, things. Hang on, can like I just that. say there was there was a previous episode unsung where I fucking grappled trying to remember Lisa Loeb's fucking name <laughs> for the entire episode and then had to wait until the next week when somebody contacted us to remind me who the fuck it was. Uh, so yeah, this is this is poignant to me. This, this is slightly triggering. Oh, okay, I'm quite glad to bring it full circle, but I'm sorry that you have to le- uh, like relive any trauma. But like, um, <laughs> I, I like I don't want to talk too much about how this actually plays out if you guys haven't seen it. Like I know that there's spoiler tags, but I don't want to talk about the ending if you haven't seen it because it's really yeah, cause rewarding. This isn't, but... this isn't like talking about you know a Clockwork Orange. Like a lot of people won't have seen this movie, but we would recommend seeing it. Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, it's directed by Jeremy Gardner, who did, like, things like The Bat Day and Tex Montana Must Die, and they got these cool, uh, kind of, like, you know, when I was talking about the kind of indie horror that I love, it's like, you can kind of, you can nail Jeremy Gardner's name onto this kind of thing. But he directs and stars, and he plays this guy whose girlfriend very abruptly leaves him, and uh, leaves him in their kind of dilapidated house in the woods. And while she's gone, every night, after midnight, a monster kind of appears at the door, or like this mysterious monster leaves scratch marks on the door, makes a racket, fucks off, and basically, like what you see is him kind of trying to, to navigate what's going on with his relationship and this widening theory that he's crazy for thinking these things. Um, it jumps back and forth in the timeline quite a bit um, between the present day and the kind of more idyllic phases of his relationship with Bria Grant, who is incredible in everything that she's in. And this song figures in this really lovely way. Um, in the ending to this. The end to this is my favourite final scene in a movie that I've seen for quite a few years, and I don't necessarily want to dig into the mechanics of exactly how it plays out, but it's incredible like it's incredibly rewarding if you're on board before that. 
and I, I picked this knowing that it was going to be awkward because I didn't necessarily want to talk about the act, the absolute machinations of the ending. Mm-hmm. But After Midnight is four parts relationship drama, one part monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's out there. You can see it on the Arrow Video channel in the UK, or you can rent it on Amazon Video or all the other places. That's a, um, that that reminds me a little bit of it. Is, is it what is it? Oh fuck! Is it called Colossal? It's Col- the, I was exactly like the exact same thing. Yeah, natural like, Londo movie. With yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like three parts. Uh, it's sort of emotional drama. Two parts monster movie and kaiju, <laughs> kaiju film basically. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like I say like I I I can talk about how it ends, but I feel like I'd be doing you both a disservice if it's, I did. I think yeah, you should, that's I not think, necessary for this clip though, right? Because this it. clip was excellent. Like, I really I love the fact it's only about fifteen seconds of the actual song. Mm-hmm. Is a <laughs> oh well. Um, yeah, it's 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 it, it recurs in a lot of the artistic ways. Just watch after midnight. It's the best thing I've seen in a really long time. I think okay, it's great. so the bit the bit I saw is when he's about to start singing karaoke and he gets about <laughs> two too. lines into "You say," and then <laughs> it's fucking jumped. And uh, yeah, it was very deadpan. Like the timing of it, you know, it didn't even allow any tension to build. It just had a very deadpan execution, which yeah, uh, immediately I was I was pretty sold in it, and that's why I was like, I can't believe I've not actually fucking seen this. A deadpan. Um, execution is a good way to sum up the the entire film the, the, like, it's the, even the choice of the song as well I, I've not seen it yet but you can tell just from the snippet that I saw it's very campy it's fun it's a great little moment I'd be really curious to know what you think of it when you both get around to seeing it because like yeah it's it's class aye no it, that's a fucking great choice um, that's a pretty that's a pretty healthy innings there guys where you think uh, got three tracks into Mitch's list got all, of our, got all of our admin done we've ruined a whole load of films for a whole load of people yeah we're just getting <laughs> on a bit that's a good day at the office um, alright so I tell you what we'll, we'll break here and we're going to come back with the second part and in that we'll do the rest of Mitch's list and uh, David Mark and myself will, will throw in our choices as well nice uh, we'll also scatter in some of the audience suggestions that we got in, in uh, when we announced the episode can we just say before we depart episode's about to end what the hell else are you going to do with the rest of your day get in our Patreon Yep. help help us out we are doing a remarkably bad job uh, this is probably where we're at our worst in converting our audience <laughs> into income <laughs> we really appreciate it right now given that David and I are putting on a total of zero bands a year right <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah if, if you can take yourself to Mark patreon.com forward slash unsung pods you can start from as little as two dollars or soon to be pounds when they force the conversion upon us because see Mitch's podcast set up when they could actually choose pounds when we set up there was no option to do that (laughs) so you start off at two dollars and yeah you can we'll give you an anthem for that and then if the tears kind of go all the way up to the point where we'll actually put our faces on a fucking t-shirt for you to the album cover of your choice and Mm -hmm. also do an episode if you ask us really nicely soon to be added a tier where we allow you to get David pregnant yep and everybody's waiting for that so yeah why not including I guess Um, medical science (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) top so yeah we'll see you next week uh, where we will endeavour to ruin a shitload more movies for you hey